Amen. Thank you for your continued giving to the kingdom of God, whether uh, here in person or online or texting, however you give, we thank you for that. Amen. We want to continue blessing the kingdom because we know God will bless us if we're obedient to his word, right? Amen. We want to continue praying for those that are in need, those that are sick, those that are hurting. We want to pray for uh, the Khan family as Sister Khan lost her mother this past week. Amen. We want to lift them up before the Lord and, and, and encourage them in prayer. Amen. Because we know God is able, right? No matter what we go through, He is able to heal us, to restore us, to give us strength. Amen. To heal our brokenness. Amen. Only God can do that and give us the peace that passes all understanding. Amen. We, we trust in the Lord today. Amen. As we're staying, we go to the word of the Lord. We're going to go to the uh, book of 2 Samuel, the fifth chapter. Read a few verses there. When the Philistines heard they anointed King David over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David, and uh, David heard of it and went down to the hold. Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. David came to Baal-perazim, and David smote them there, and said, The Lord hath broken forth upon mine enemies before me. As the breach of waters. Therefore, he hath called the name of that place Baal Perizim. Amen. I want to preach to you today from this title When God Moves. When God Moves. Why don't you turn to a few people, wave at them, give them an air high five, and welcome them as you're seated here today. Man, this was probably one of David's greatest days in his life. The long-awaited day to be anointed king over all of Israel had finally come. And now David had been the king over Judah for about seven years now, but while the rest of the kingdom of Israel was being ruled by the sons of Saul, But finally, it was the Lord's timing for David to be anointed king over the whole entire kingdom. After seven years of waiting, can you you imagine David, the, the very one who ran out onto the battlefield by himself and killed Goliath with his own hands while all the mighty soldiers of Israel shook in fear. David, the one who was anointed to be king of Israel, but had to wait for Saul to vacate the throne. And not just wait, but we see the story where David was actually running for his life because King Saul, for many years, chased him all over the countryside trying to kill him. And we know of at least two instances where David had the opportunity to kill Saul. All David had to do was to kill Saul, to take out King Saul, and then he would be the king of Israel. Talk about temptation. All you had to do was kill him, and you would be king. Can you imagine some poor young man living in caves with his mighty men and didn't have much money in his bank account and wasn't sure where he would get his next meal from and he's struggling day to day uh, to keep from out of sight of the king's soldiers and all that would come to an end. If David would just kill Saul, it'd be over. The battle would be over. He would have moved from the cave to the palace overnight. One day you're living in the cave, the next day you're in the palace. 
No more worrying about where to eat. Now, David, you're the king, and now you get the best food in all the land brought to you. You don't have to search it out. It would be brought to you. And all you had to do, David, is to kill King Saul. I mean, after all, he's trying to kill you, right? I mean, we that's called self-defense, right? No one would be pressing charges. I mean, everyone understands, hey, he's trying to kill you. The whole nation knows that he's chasing you around the, the countryside trying to kill you. Uh, we understand, David, if you want to kill him, then that's just the way it is. But instead, David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Even though I have a valid reason to, and even though what Saul is doing to me is not right, I'm still not going to touch the, the Lord's anointed. And, and as we know, it wasn't long until King Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle in the very same day. And so now, the day has finally come for David's turn to be king. The prophet, prophet Samuel already anointed uh, David years before, but now the time, the day has finally come. And, and he's anointed king of Judah, but the other parts of Israel, the sons of Saul, quickly run to the throne of their father and declare to be king. And here is David again, just watching from afar off, shaking his head, what in the world's going on? I, I was the one that was anointed. David, being a man after God's own heart, he didn't act. He, he didn't go and he didn't make a fuss about it. And he didn't march with his mighty men into the streets of, of Jerusalem and take the, the, over the throne by his own hand and by his own force. David, the giant slayer, could have easily taken care of those sons of Saul trying to proclaim themselves as king. But instead, what did David do? Instead, he waited. He waited for God to move. He sought after the counsel of God before he rushed to make a decision. And, and even though it took him another seven years before he would finally sit on the throne of Israel, and yet it seems that that was the right move to make. How many times do we become a little impatient with God's plans? And we get a little ahead of ourselves and, and we start making decisions and, 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 and things we're, we're pretty sure that are correct and we have a good reason to, to go and do that and make that. And, and it was off to a good start and, and we had the finished product in view, but we, we tried to skip a few steps and we ended up messing things up. Anybody ever do that before? And if we had just waited a little longer... It would have worked out like it should have, and you probably wouldn't have had to embarrass yourself. But David waited for God's timing, even though it was going to be another seven years till he was fully anointed king over all of Israel. And you know what? He finally did become king of Israel and is touted as the greatest king that they had ever had. And even Jesus chose to come from the lineage of David. I wonder if that would have still played out had David chose to act by himself and say, I'm going to take the throne that belongs to me, and I'm, I'm not waiting for anybody. I'm, this is mine. I deserve this, and they're, they're not doing it right, and I'm going to take the throne. I wonder if that would all still worked out. We'll never know because David decided to wait for the Lord to move. And he was touted as the greatest king of Israel, not because of his talents, not because of the skill uh, on the battlefield, and not because of his mighty men, but because David had a heart after God, and he learned to wait on God. David wanted to go with God, and he waited for God's timing, and he wanted to see God's glory because when you wait for God to show up in your life, when you wait for him to, to lead the charge in the battle, then God goes and fights for you, and he'll fight with you by your side. And if you wait for God, you'll see his power in action in your life. You'll see him smash the enemy right before your eyes. You'll see the enemies flee in your life all because... You waited for the Lord 
and didn't run out there by yourself. One day Saul was preparing to go to war, but the prophet Samuel hadn't arrived yet to talk with God and to say, hey, we're, we're get, we want to get aligned with God and get everything right, making sure, I mean, we're going out to war, like people die. And so we're going to make sure things are right. But uh, instead of Saul waiting for God, what did Saul do? Saul built an altar by himself, and he offered a sacrifice of his own. And, I mean, that sounds good. Like, at least he did that, right? I mean, that's, that's a good thing, right? But the Bible says once he did that, then Samuel comes right around the corner. Had Saul just waited a little bit longer. And then Samuel says, what are you doing, Saul? What are you doing? And, and, and basically said, Saul, this is my paraphrase of what Saul said, I got tired of waiting on God. I got tired of waiting for you to show up. I'm ready to go out and fight and, and defeat the enemy. And I, I got tired of waiting. And so I decided to do things on my own. I built the altar and I offered the sacrifice. And do you know what that action caused? Cost Saul. It cost him his throne. Just that one action. And it was, it was more than just one thing because that was just, that was Saul's mindset. That was just the way he thought and he wasn't waiting around for God to do things and uh, that God said, I'm taking away the throne from you. Saul didn't wait on God and he lost the throne. And David waited on God and the throne never left his lineage. Talk about the power of just waiting a little bit longer. I know it may seem like it's a long, long time now since you've seen the hand of God in life, but I'm here to tell you, just keep on waiting a little bit longer. I know you're getting a little bit antsy and you want to run out there and do things, but until God shows up in your life, that's when you need to make the move. Don't go out there on your own and, and get tired and, and forget about God. Saul didn't wait and lost his throne. David waited and got the throne forever. All because of one choice, to wait on God or to do it ourselves. Waiting on God gives you safety, it gives you strength, it gives you salvation, it will give you victory over the enemy, while not waiting on God brings heartache and, and despair and loss and defeat. And I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that I'm waiting on God in my life before I take a step of faith, before I make a move. I want to be sure that God is with me, because if He is for me, then who can stand against me, who can defeat me? If I I'm all by myself. I can be taken down. But not if I'm waiting on God. Not if I'm waiting for him to show up in my life. Because if he's with me, what can go wrong then? So verse 17, but when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David. And David heard of it and went down to the hold. He was finally anointed king over all of Israel. Philistines heard about it, and they weren't happy for this. This was not a good thing. This was not a welcoming committee. Say, hey, congratulations, David. We want to meet with you. When they heard about it, him being anointed king, they, they didn't go gather together and throw him a surprise party. No, they assembled themselves to fight against David, and they wanted to defeat David and tear him down. At such a time, that was meant for rejoicing. I mean, the day had finally come. David was finally, finally anointed king over all of Israel. And uh, right after that, we hear the Philistines gathering together to fight against David. And that's when the enemy wants to come and pop everybody's balloons. When things are going good in your life, when, when God's pouring out his blessings and things are, 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 are really doing well, and, and then all of a sudden the enemy wants to come and start messing things up in your life. Because if we expect the enemy to do that, that means that, that we shouldn't have to worry about that happening from our friends and family. We should be the ones that are rejoicing with our brothers and sisters and, and praying for them and encouraging them and uplifting them and uh, uplifting them. Even when the blessings haven't poured out in our lives, we should still be blessing our brothers for getting blessed and, and rejoicing with them. And our response and our attitude towards our brothers and sisters could very well be the catalyst for our own blessing 
whether it comes or not. When others are being blessed, we should be there celebrating with them. We should be the ones, hey, I'll blow up the balloons for you because I'm happy for you. I'm praying for you, brother or sister. I'm happy to see God blessing your life. And, and when they're suffering, we should be there with them to comfort them in prayer and to cover them and to encourage them in the Lord because the accuser of the brethren is the enemy. It's not to be you and I. Verse 18, the Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Now the word Rephaim means giant. And so they spread themselves in the valley of giants. The enemy always wants to appear stronger than he really is. He likes to flex when he's not really that strong. He, he likes to appear stronger than he really is. He wants to look more intimidating in your eyes than he really is. And so that's going to be the enemy's first move in your life. If he can strike fear into your mind and fear into your heart, and he's got the upper hand on you already and the battle hasn't even started. Half the battle's already over if you can look at the enemy and you're, you're afraid of what they look like. So the Philistines spread out in the valley of giants, hoping that David would look at them and be fearful and afraid and hoping that he would run and retreat and they, they can advance their uh, kingdom into the land of Israel. But Because deep down inside, the Philistines really knew, they knew David's capabilities. Because they knew that David had taken out their, the Philistines' greatest warrior. David killed Goliath by himself. They knew that. They, they haven't forgot about that. Their, their big statue and superhero poster of Goliath doesn't mean much because David, that one guy out there, killed him. And so the Philistines knew exactly what David was capable of. They knew that standing toe-to-toe, lined up with David, the Philistines knew that David was the better warrior and that David would easily defeat them. And so that's why they spread out and tried to intimidate David. Let's spread out in the Valley of Giants. I mean, that just sounds bad enough when the enemy is spread out in the Valley of Giants ready to face you. But that's all part of their strategy to, to, to be more uh, intimidating than they really are. But the devil knows deep down inside that he's really no match for the people of God. Because Jesus tells us the gates of hell cannot even prevail against the church. And the devil knows that he cannot defeat the people of God. He knows what the word of God says. And it says that you, we, you and I, once we receive the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues, we've been given power over all the enemy. All of the forces of darkness can gather themselves against you. And the people of God will conquer them. The people of God will defeat them in the valley of giants. Why? Because the Bible says that God has given us power over all the enemy. And so what are we fearful about? What are we afraid about? Even when all of the enemy gathers themselves against you. And if you're standing there by yourself, you should not be afraid. Because the Bible says I've given you power over all the enemy. Either that's true or it isn't. Either the Bible is true or the word of God is true or it's not. And so uh, it doesn't matter how much of the enemy lines up against you. You've got a greater power inside of you to defeat that enemy. And the devil knows this. And the devil knows that he cannot defeat the people of God. That's why he tries to intimidate you because he can't beat you one to one. And so that's why, that's why little Andy, he'll, he'll punch you in the stomach while you're sleeping. So that you wake up and he wants you to be afraid and, and fearful because he knows he doesn't have more power more than you do. And if he can bind you up with fear and if he can whip up on you, uh, but God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us power. He's given us love and of a sound mind. And he doesn't want you waking up and start to pray and start pleading the blood because he cannot stop that. He cannot defeat you because we are the people of God. He can't win 
as long as we stand, as long as we won't back down, as long as we call upon the name of our God, the devil cannot win against you. He cannot defeat you. And so we need to go forth in victory, declaring the word of God, and God is for us. And so what did David do when he saw the enemy spread out in the valley of giants? David taught himself that his natural eyes can deceive him. And so instead of making decisions based on the natural, he just simply said, I'm going to ask God what I should do. That's profound. Let me just talk to God before I act. I think if people would do that a little bit more, they would probably be in a better situation. What a novel idea, asking God what to do. Verse 19, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up to the Philistines? Should I even go down there? I know that my, my warrior inside of me is ready to go and fight them, but should I even go? Maybe, God, you see something that I don't see, and, and so I'm just going to say, hey, should I even go down to the Philistines? And if, if I do go down there, uh, are you going to deliver them into my hand? What a, great, what a great battle strategy that is. God, should I go and fight? And if I go and fight, am I going to win? Uh, uh, I can go out there on my own and take my chances, or I can just wait on God to see what God has to say about it and ask him, what should I do? And the Lord said unto David, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines in, my, in thine hand. What else do you need to know? What else do you need to know? It doesn't matter how big the enemy is. It doesn't matter if they have reinforcements coming. God says uh, you'll, you'll deliver the, he'll deliver them in your hands. You're going to win. And so uh, that's the only thing you need to know. And if God tells you that, uh, that's all we need to know. If God says you have more power than all the, all the other enemy, what else do we need to know? And so verse 20, and David came to Baal Perazim. And David smote them there and said, The Lord has broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the breach of waters. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal Perazim. And so David defeated the Philistines here with the help of the Lord. And, and look how David describes God's power. He says, The Lord hath broken forth upon mine enemies as the breach of waters. The force and power of God came through like when the water is stirred and begins to start flowing. Once that water starts moving, it has the power to wipe out anything that stands in its way. Uh, imagine a dam that is holding back millions and millions of gallons of water. And imagine the water starts to breach the dam. The water starts to come over the edge and starts breaking through and begins to flow. Whatever is in the way of that water is going to be annihilated. And it doesn't matter how tough the enemy is, it's not going to survive the moving of the water. It doesn't matter how much the enemy is spread out. When the water begins to be stirred, when the water is troubled, they're not going to stand a chance because the Lord is going to come forth and break through like the water's breaching. And so, if we can learn to wait for God to move, then nothing will stand in our way. And so David, witnessing this tidal wave of God's power, he called this place Baal Perizim, which means Lord of the Breaks. Lord of the Breaks. And you know... How that translates to our language today, we wouldn't say that. We would say, God of the breakthrough. That's what we would call it, God of the breakthrough. And you thought that was a new song. David was singing that song 3,000 years ago. You are the God of the breakthrough. When I can't see my way through, I don't know what to do. I look to you, the breakthrough. That's what David was seeing. That's what he witnessed there in that valley. God, you came 
forth like the waters breaching, like the waters breaking through. And when the enemy spreads out in the valley, I'll just wait for the water to break forth and I'll let God go and do what he does best. And that is to conquer the enemies of him. And so God of the God of the breakthrough, that's what David named the place. I'm going to name this place Baal Perizim, God of the breakthrough. Because that's what God did. I asked him, and he says, go. And then I started going, and all of a sudden, this tidal wave of God's power came and wiped out the enemy. The God of the breakthrough. And so, verse 21, the aftermath. They were there, and there they left their images, the Philistines, and all their gods and trinkets that they, their rabbits feet. There were tons of them everywhere, all over the valley. Uh, and so David and his men burned them up. These things are useless idols. They don't have any power against our God because he just came in there and knocked them out. And then in verse 22, after they're excited, they're celebrating, they're high-fiving, and, and they're ordering the, the pig roast and getting ready to celebrate uh, uh, the, the victory that God had given them. In verse 22, Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim again. The enemy just doesn't give up very easy, does he? You may have defeated him in this battle, but that doesn't mean that he won't come back. That doesn't mean the enemy is not going to show back up. He's always going to come back and spread themselves in the valley again. They're going to try again and keep trying again. But sometimes you and I, sometimes we quit before the enemy quits. It doesn't matter if we have more power than the enemy. If we quit first, if we give up and we give in, then there really isn't much of a battle, is there? So what did David do when the enemy that he defeated came back again? When the enemy that he defeated came back, well, David did what he always did. He said, well, I'm just going to go back to the Lord. I'll ask the Lord, and what, 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 what should we do? And just because the enemy comes back after you defeat him shouldn't cause, stir, shouldn't cause you to stir into a frenzy and, and you start worrying that, he, oh, the enemy's back. And, and then when you're, you're fearful and afraid that he's back, you're not thinking with a sound mind. Oh, Lord, the devil's back, and, and he spread himself again in the valley. What do I do now? Things obviously didn't work the first time, and uh, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do, to start worrying and start questioning your faith. And I thought that you were beaten, but, but you're back. But I thought I bound you in Jesus' name, but you're back. So what do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We do it all again. We just take it all back to the Lord. Lord, I'm, he's back again. What do you want me to do? You bind them in the bind the enemy in Jesus' name again. And if he comes back again, you bind him again in Jesus' name. You plead the blood again. And if, if he shows back up, you plead the blood again. And, and keep on pleading the blood and fighting against the enemy because the enemy is going to keep coming back until he's finally defeated by the Lord. So where does this belief come from that you only have to fight a spirit one time and you're exempt the rest of your life? He won't ever be back the rest of my life. You don't ever have to deal with that again. I only have to battle one time and then I can retire and wait for my golden train to come get me. That kind of mindset only does one thing. It sets you up for failure and defeat. Because the enemy is not going to give up that easily. He's going to come back again and again. And he's going to come back again and gather spread out themselves in the valley again. He'll keep coming back just to wear you out because he wants to win. And he wants to see if you want to win. And if he keeps showing up and finally you're the one who gives in and gets tired, then guess who's going to win? And so what do we do? When the enemy shows back up, after we have a, 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 an awesome, powerful service and we have a, a breakthrough in the, in the worship service and things are going great and, and we walk out of here on high and riding our horses and we're, 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 we're champions, we're victors, and all of a sudden the enemy shows up during the week. I thought we defeated you on Sunday. What are you doing back? 
And so what do we do when the enemy shows back up? Well, I'm here to tell you we do the same thing that we always do, is to go take it back to the Lord. Take the battle back to the Lord again and again. If he comes back, you take him back to the Lord in Jesus' name. That's what David did. He said, okay, you're back. Let me go back to the God, and I'll talk with God before I make a choice. Musicians, if you would come. And so we see in verse 23, and when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up. This is God saying, you shall not go up. See, you never know. Sometimes you think you're ready to go fight, and God says, hey, don't go up. But fetch a compass behind them and come up upon them over the mulberry trees. Basically, God says, I don't want you to run and charge them, but I want you to sneak around and go behind them. You see... God has some good strategy game. All we got to do is ask him, hey, God, what do you want me to do? We think we're ready to go take him on head on, but God says, hey, if you go over on this side, if you sneak around him, you'll really defeat him this way. You'll strike a blow to him that he'll never forget. And so uh, God said, don't rush out there and attack them like you did the first time, but this time we're going to attack from a different place, a different angle. And instead of attacking them head on, sneak around them and go wait by the mulberry trees. So verse 24, and let it be, this is God speaking, let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself, for then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord had commanded him and smote the Philistines from Geba unto thou come to Gazar. And so here again, David and his men haven't rushed the battle yet because he's inquired of the Lord and God says, go wait by the mulberry trees. Wait till you hear uh, the wind blowing at the top of the trees. And when that happens, you'll know that the God, that wind is God going into the battlefield and you follow after God because God will do a whole lot more damage than you can do on your own. And so that's the benefit of waiting for God, waiting for the wind to blow in the trees is that God will go before you and start working on the enemy before you get there. And so what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the stirring of the waters. They're waiting for the wind to start moving because they don't want to attack too early. They don't want to rush out there and and be the first in battle. No. David wants the Lord to go first. Sounds like a great plan to me. Lord, you go first. I'll follow after you, Lord. I'm I'm strong and tough, but you go first. That's That's not a bad plan. That should be the way it always goes. He wants the God of the breakthrough to go first and to break through the trees and break through the enemy. And so there they are waiting for the Lord, and then they hear the sound of a rushing mighty wind through the tops of the trees, and and that is the sign that God is on the move. And then David says, okay, boys, God's already already out there. Now let's go in the battle and go fight. And he goes out there and conquers the Philistines. If you try to do it on your own, you're going to fail. If you try to rush to be the first in the battle, you'll fail. If you try to do it your way, you're probably going to fail. But if we learn to wait on the Lord, wait for the troubling of the waters, wait for that breach of the waters, wait for the God of the breakthrough, the rushing mighty wind, then we're going to see the victory that we're hoping for. Then we'll see God's power smite the enemy right before our eyes. But that's only going to happen If we can learn to wait on the Lord, we stand with me today. There was a pool in Jerusalem named Bethesda. And by this pool, there were people there, a bunch of people just hanging out at the pool. I mean, that's must be hot like down here. And so John tells us, describes these people. John 5 and 3, in these patios, porches around the pool lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered. What are these people doing here is that they're just waiting. 
They were waiting for the moving of the water. They're tearing, waiting for the troubling of the water because verse 4 says, For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and started troubling the waters. And whosoever then, first after the troubling of the waters, had stepped in was made whole of whatever disease that he had had. But first the waters had to move. You can jump in all you want, but if the waters are not stirred, if God hadn't moved first, you're just getting wet. And so these people had done all that they could. They had tried to do it on their own, and they, they were weary, and they were worn down, and they were unable to go any further in their life. And so now here they are at Bethesda, just waiting, waiting on God waiting for the angel to come down and trouble the waters. And once that water was breached, once the wind started blowing, and then the power came, and then the healing came, and the first one in was made whole. And and so it wouldn't happen if they were not there waiting for for the troubling of the waters. I've got one more example before we close. After Jesus resurrected from the dead, he appeared to his believers because they had thought that it was all over. He came to comfort them and strengthen them. Paul tells us that there were 500 people at one time that Jesus had talked to after his resurrection. And so Jesus told them of the things concerning the kingdom. He was teaching them, this is the way it's going to happen. I'm getting ready to ascend up into heaven. Um, And so what did he say as he was ascending into heaven? He said, go into Jerusalem and tarry. Go there and wait for me. Wait for the promise of the Father. Uh, Wait there before you do anything else. Wait for me. Because if you leave and go out on your own, I am not going to be there with you. But if you wait for me, something's going to happen. There's something miraculous going to happen. And so only, the Bible says, only 120 showed up. 120 were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And if, if Jesus had appeared to over 500 people at once, that means... That 380 people said, well, we're not waiting around. We've we've waited for two or three days. That's it for me. I'm out of here. But finally, the time was come. On the day of Pentecost and Acts 2 was fully come. They were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And the Holy Ghost was poured out, and they all began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. What happened was they were just waiting. We're waiting on God. And then all of a sudden the wind started blowing. The water started moving. The wind started howling. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And guess what happened after that? After that, after God moved, then they started to move after that they started preaching and they started praying and they started rebuking devils and they started healing the sick and the lame they started pushing back the kingdom of darkness and there was nothing that the devil could do why because they were following after God God had already started to move and they were just following the spirit what are you fighting today What are you fighting today? What kind of enemy has gathered against you in the valley of giants scattered against you? Well, I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter how big they are. If you wait for God to start moving in your life, you're going to have the victory. You're going to come. You're going to see the power of God come through. You're going to see God break through in your life and break through the enemy. Anyone believe that with me? Why don't we shout with a voice of triumph? Why don't we sing unto the Lord? Why don't we step out of faith and believe? God, you're the God. Are you going to break through? You're going to help fight me. Come on, let's worship the Lord together if you believe that. Just call upon the Lord today. Come on, His Spirit is here. Come on, He's stirring us. Hallelujah. You are the undefeated one. My life. 
and we the victory. We praise you, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Omnipotent, Almighty.
defeat that addiction. Defeat that spirit. When I worship, when I praise, when I lift and glorify your holy name. What is it that you're fighting against? Hallelujah. Time to break it through today. Hallelujah. We're going out of here in victory today. Breakthrough. Not today, devil. You're my breakthrough. 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 some kind of control or power and what happens when we're holding on to these things and trying to do it ourselves is we get tired we get weary because it's a spiritual battle and we're carnal beings and if we're not letting God do it and if we're not praying in the spirit then we're gonna get worn out and beat up and frustrated we just need to let it go say God it's in your hands I'm casting my cares upon you and it's gonna be in your hands you break forth God you break the walls down can't break them but you can God and if we do that today if you learn to loot do that in your life you're gonna see God do some great things and just because God breaks through in your life doesn't mean the devil's gonna not show up anymore 
He's going to test your faith this week. We, we shouted about God breaking forth and breaking through today, and we tear down some things, but the devil's going to come back and say, do you really believe that? You beat me in the first round, but what about the second round? What about the third round? But as long as we keep pleading the blood, as soon as we see him back again and say, oh, I'm not dealing with it, I'm taking it to God. Let God deal it. Let God do the heavy lifting in your life and so you can experience the joy of the Holy Ghost. We lose the joy, it gets buried beneath all this weight in our life and the suffering. We need to let God do it all so we can rejoice every single day in the Lord because God's got this. Amen. God's going forth. We let him go first. We wait on him. Amen. And we'll see him break through in our lives. Amen. Before we close out today, we want to end uh, the service. We want to pray tomorrow starts school for Lee County. And as the craziness of this all this world is, it's probably going to be a crazy day tomorrow. And we want to pray for those that are going to school and those that are staying home. We want to pray God's hand upon everyone, the students, kids, teachers, uh, the families, all those that are involved because it's going to, it's, this world needs Jesus. And so why, as, we, as we close out, why don't we lift up our hands? Why don't we pray for our school, our teachers, our kids? Hallelujah, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, you are the God of the breakthrough. We plead the blood of Jesus over every mind, every child, every home, every parent, every teacher. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ that you would break through. Break through the spirit of fear. We bind it in the name of Jesus. We bind the spirit of infirmity in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Lord, you go forth. We celebrate what you're going to do. Keep your hedge of protection around every person, every soul, every child. In the name of Jesus, we give you the praise and the glory. Let your people be the light into this dark world. In the name of Jesus, we give you the praise and the glory. We celebrate this and we rejoice in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless you all. You're dismissed today in Jesus' name. Go follow after God and be victorious. Hallelujah, you're dismissed today.